<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win this. Oh picture. god, I know. That- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we discuss a movie we've all seen, our weekend entertainment, and an artist whose career we'd like to put in focus. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, grab your bottle of rosé, cashmere sleeping masks, and artisanal steak rub for the barbecue, because we're going glamping! <laughs> oh, oh, wait, what? Oh, no, wait. I'm hearing from the producer that's not what we're doing. <laughs> oh. oh, no, actually what's happening is that the only employment source in our hometown has gone under, and all us town folk have been evicted. Right. Mm-hmm. So we've lost our houses. Oh, and income. And friends. Oh, oh, and my husband has died. Oh, great. Okay, mm-hmm. now what the fuck are we supposed to do? <laughs> Make like the pioneers and head west. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this week's film is Nomadland, written, directed, and edited by Chloe Zhao and starring Frances McDormand as Fern. A woman who experiences everything I just detailed in the former and then embarks on a journey through the American West after losing everything during the Great Recession. Nomadland asks a question, what are the things in our life that really give it true meaning? And when we lose everything we thought defined us, how do we rebuild the pieces of our life to find a new path forward? This film is nominated for six Oscars, and if you would like to hear us talk about the upcoming Oscars, next week's episode is our annual Oscar special, which we are so excited for, and you will only get to listen to it if you become a Patreon member. So please go to patreon.com slash talkmovietome. First impression, Helen. Yes. So one of the first things we see in this film is Fern heading into a massive Amazon warehouse. And it got me thinking about the, you know, people that work in warehouses like that, especially in light of the pandemic and things Mm -hmm. that have been happening surrounding those workplaces. Those types of warehouses and factories are being deemed essential but people aren't being protected and then they're getting sick and a lot of them are from low-income families that are then spreading the virus to their family members. And so it just sort of got me all in this tizzy in my brain about the people in society that just aren't protected, Mm -hmm. Um, which is a lot of what this movie touches upon. I knew that obviously that this was made pre-pandemic and that that wasn't a part of the story, but it, it couldn't help but relate the two things in seeing that. So that was sort of where I, what my jumping off point was with this. Mm-hmm. What about you, Edison? First impression for me is that I just love Frances McDormand so much and I really appreciate her total lack of vanity in her performances, pretty much all of them. And that close up on her face as she's peeing in the field, like, She just has zero fucks to give. And I think because she has these qualities, we kind of have a sense of who this character is before we even really like get into the story. So I kind of am on board with it and on board with like cheering her on from the get go. Um, I'm loving it already. Yeah. Sinclair. First impression for me with the film opening up on Frances McDormand's character Fern rummaging through her belongings in a storage locker and carefully choosing pieces to bring with her immediately throws me into a state of imagining having to part with my sentimental possessions and how attached I am to my things (laughs) (laughs) which have been a big part of my life and my identity they're not expensive things but they're sentimental things and I'm already in a state of self-reflection and existential panic so (laughs) nothing new really (laughs) (laughs) to start off here we go (laughs) get ready well if we want to start with storytelling Mm -hmm. um Sinclair, do you want to give us a little bit of background info about the book that this is based off of? Because I think you're the only one of the three of us that's read it. Yes. Yes. I had a chance to read 
Jessica Bruder's book, Nomadland, during the pandemic, because I'd had a lot of time on my hands and a lot of time to read. <laughs> and she is a journalist that focuses on different subcultures and the dark side of the economy. So the book was very much numbers focused. Mm -hmm. It followed the stories of these different nomads, but I would say that it's more of um, an economic exploration than it is their spiritual and emotional journey. So I was really hoping to see this dramatized well. And I thought it would definitely be challenging because really I lean more towards a humanist take on this mm. lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I found that the book was really fascinating, but I could really feel the weight of hearing these cold hard facts about yeah. this lifestyle and the financial crisis. And it was such a hard dose of reality. Like it really gets into the Amazon stuff, what people are mm. paid why these nomads can't really survive on their social security checks, mm -hmm. their cost of living, and all these different aspects of it. And there wasn't a lot of um, their emotional journey. So mm. I, I was really interested to see how this was dramatized. And what sure. do you think? Were you satisfied with it? I, I was really satisfied like because I felt that she managed to mix... A fictional story almost with a documentary style mm. yeah so she mixed a fictional character with the real characters the, the a lot of them were real nomads yeah and she managed to to blend that really seamlessly mm -hmm. I loved 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 this movie and I thought that it was similar to other films that we've seen in the past and really loved that kind of introduced us to a new world a new mm. way of kind of living that isn't centered typically mm -hmm. in our s stories like florida project for example or whatnot totally yeah i really appreciated this like this lifestyle these you know no modern day nomads living this way now we know that it exists and we know how much people suffered from after the great recession but i had never known about this particular thing and it mm. also made me feel this really interesting sense of i don't know america like i think mm. this movie is could only really be made in america in a way because there's like 300 plus million people there and so there's enough people to form almost any community you know what right. i mean and I don't know. I just thought this was like a very American story. It was all about mm. like late stage capitalism and how destructive it mm. is. And it's just t America today. And I thought it was really, really well done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I also really loved this movie. I thought that I would, but I think it, it surpassed my expectations. Hmm. It's interesting because I have... A few friends that have their plan has been to buy a van and drive across the country, live out of the van is like a fun adventure. And you watch this movie and it's like, I mean, it is a choice for the nomads, but it is also somewhat of a last resort mm -hmm. to, to watch these people live, you know, out of a, a van or an RV it was so, I don't know, I had, I had such conflicting feelings because on one hand, I'm, my heart was hurting to, to watch people suffer. But then at the same time, I'm like, but they're not suffering necessarily. Like, and that was something that was so interesting in the story is that it's not necessarily a story of poverty, but, but a just change in lifestyle. It's a story of survival. I think. And survival, and I, yeah. Yeah. And I think that when when you lose everything or when shit hits the actual fan, all of the shit and the world's biggest mm. fan, um, <laughs> you either just crumble and it's over, right? And for a lot of people, you know, I'm sure that the ones that were featured in the book, there was no choice in this lifestyle, Sinclair, I assume, right? It's just like this is their last 
like they're they're out of options and this is the best that they got and that wasn't the focus in this i think yeah i thought it tried a really careful line between what you were saying helen like ah making you feel one way both ways like Mm -hmm. like it did show you the beauty of it as well yeah it's really about like reimagining this idea of the american dream and we've talked about the american dream uh, with different films before Mm -hmm. but chloe zhao seems to really gravitate towards identity stories of identity loss of identity specifically in america Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she has a movie called the writer and it's the same idea it's a cowboy who falls off a horse he's permanently injured and the idea of being a cowboy in america is so ingrained in him to lose that identity is very devastating and it's this reimagining of who am i in this big vast country Mm -hmm. now that i don't have that that sense of my American identity and it's the same thing with Nomadland Mm -hmm. you have this idea of growing old and retiring and being able to experience the fruits of your labor and the biggest thing about these nomads is they learned uh, the hard way that that isn't necessarily the truth and anyone at any age is susceptible to losing their finances or losing their security at at any moment and it's very very sad to think that people can't live off of their off of their retirement that it's not enough and that you can work all your life and still need to keep working when you should be retired that you don't Mm -hmm. have enough resources and it's this idea of shedding that american dream and this materialism and living living i don't want to say an outlaw but but living a different lifestyle i know like a nomad yeah Yeah. (laughs) i thought this film was really beautifully directed and we'll talk a little bit about the cinematography and all of that later in technical but i wanted to just talk about how the impact of the the timing of how it's shot affected story for me Mm -hmm. and so this film is basically all shot at in the blue hour and mm. this is that little phase of twilight between sun setting when the sun is just dipped below the horizon, but it's not quite dark yet. Mm. It only lasts for about 40 minutes in the morning, pre-sunrise, and then in the mm. evening. And it's a really magical hour. It's a very like powerful hour in folklore and photography and art because mm. it is a represents this theme of transition from one world onto the next, mm. right? This is when the fairies come out. This is right. when all of this change occurs, but it, it's not occurring right then. It's like in the middle, this brief mm. pause. And I think that is meant to evoke where she's at, right? She is mm. between two ideas of who she is and what her life is and what yeah. her life means to be. Yeah. Yeah. I love the how this how this film explores home and the idea of home. And that house mm-hmm. and home are different things. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Fern has her van that she decks out in a very thoughtful way to make it as economical as possible. And it it made me think about my own home situation and how like grateful I am for my little 500 square foot apartment that, you know, I don't have much, but I, I have enough. Mm -hmm. and that home is something that you cultivate and it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily your mailing address. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But those like as much as this was a rough movie, there there's so much of that beauty in it, too, that that lets you know that you can build a home wherever you are. Yeah, it it really showed the nomad sense of community yeah. really beautifully in this film it's almost like once you meet there's an understanding that you can move on to different places but that connection will always be there and there's mm-hmm. um, a really good line in the film that I loved I think it was a character of Bob mm-hmm. but he says 
one of the things I love most about this life is there's no final goodbye. Yeah. You know, I've met hundreds of people out here and I don't ever say a final goodbye. I always just say, I'll see you down the road. And mm-hmm. I do. And whether it's months or a year, I see them again. So that's, that's that. really beautiful. You don't mm-hmm. need to be with these people all the time. The connection will sustain. Mm-hmm. Why don't we get into performances? Because it's a really cool thing to talk about in this particular film. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned that quote, Sinclair, from Bob. And Bob is a real person, right? He's not an mm-hmm. actor. He is that guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, so are so many of the quote-unquote characters of this film. And I just think that's so interesting. And Chloe Zhao has done that before in her other films as well. Yeah. And it lends a certain... It's risky, from a directing perspective, of course, because these aren't trained actors, but it does lend a certain authenticity, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think that we can talk about performances, but I think that will just naturally also lead into a conversation about Chloe Zhao's uh, directing. Mm-hmm. You can't really talk about the performances yeah. and not talk about her directing, and she's winning all of these awards for good good reason there Mm -hmm. are a lot of different elements in this film that make it very impressive as a director to accomplish Mm -hmm. there's no real nomads alongside an oscar-winning actress that's a very interesting choice and yeah edison it is a risky choice but she managed to find a really great balance in this film in the writer they're all non-professional actors and there's a there's a struggle for me watching that one to feel like it was dramatized uh, mm. properly okay. and with Nomadland you have this balance of Frances McDormand and the Nomads and it's like Frances McDormand's performance anchors the narrative of the film yeah mm. she anchors the the storytelling for me and she almost Mm. acts like her own character but almost like a documentarian in a way her character Mm. is going along and she is actively listening to other people's stories yes Mm -hmm. and there is nothing there is no ego in the performance she yeah just sits and allows people to have their moment and share their stories at the end of it my mom was like i don't think she said 25 words in that whole film Mm -hmm. and it's true she's Mm -hmm. just such an amazing listener i love that she's the observer carrying us through yeah it's a very fascinating blend of reality and fiction (laughs) and there's that scene towards the end where Francis McDormand, well, Fern and Bob are talking about their grief that they've both experienced. Bob is speaking of his son who committed suicide and Fern's talking about her husband who passed away. And Bob came up to her afterwards and said, like, thank you so much for sharing that. And she's like, oh, that, no, my husband's alive. Like, he didn't even know that My that husband's a Cohen brother. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but yeah, I agree with you, Sinclair, about there being no ego. Like, I can't tell you how wonderful and refreshing it was to watch this 60-year-old, you know, Oscar-winning actress. But the 60-year-old actress with zero vanity. None. This weathered face that just, I absolutely loved it. It, it made me feel like hopeful for the industry and also just I was I felt like I was really seeing a life and seeing mm-hmm. a human being mm-hmm. it was incredible it was she's incredible. really really remarkable in this it's she has this like um I don't know she's just very grounded there's nothing performative in her acting mm-hmm. whatsoever certainly mm-hmm. not in this role she is just that person going through that life even the moments where you think she could you know break and another actress could make a decision to get very emotional and let those emotions really hit the surface Mm. and get big and give a big moment she doesn't it's all Mm. inside but it's no less powerful because Mm. she just has such command of the camera and of the screen when she's there yeah i really could not imagine anybody else she was just perfectly cast yeah Yeah. oh yeah well meryl streep could have done it can you can you imagine (laughs) Oh no no other stories would be heard 
Okay, what about technical? Because for me, the standout for me was the cinematography. Joshua James Richards. He was also the cinematographer for God's Own Country. Um, I know, I was worried at first because it was starting off and it was so bleak and gray. (laughs) That changed very quickly. This is uh oh. The the sky in this, the color, this is an absolutely stunning, like breathtakingly stunning film. And there are so many beautiful shots, like little moments of beauty and connection here and there like when she's kind of floating naked in the stream that is gorgeous Mm -hmm. and when she's there's that long extended shot where she's walking through the kind of campground where they are and the camera kind of floats slowly around her as uh, to follow her vision a little and again it Mm -hmm. puts you in the sense that she is our observer carrying us through it but it's so remarkable like i thought this was a stunning achievement in cinematography and very rightfully also he's nominated for an Oscar for this mm-hmm. yeah I adored the cinematography the, those landscape scenes are like my aesthetic porn like mm-hmm. those cacti <laughs> in the desert and <laughs> the sunsets like I could have probably just watched a film of sunsets in the desert like they were stunning <laughs> yeah yeah, I did find that it, it started off quite cold and, and gray and blue, but there was a, a very good connectedness between the cinematography and the character's journey, yes. luckily. And you do see the colors start to become warmer by by the end of the film. And you can mm-hmm. really feel like her connection to nature and the land and it it does become a lot warmer in color so i was happy to see that yeah Mm. the scenery was definitely its own character oh hell yeah yeah Yeah. i also really loved the score by ludovico inaudi he's Mm -hmm. an italian pianist and the piano compositions for this film are really really stunning I would love to find that sheet music Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. but there's an element of melancholy to the music but also wonderment yeah like it's it's sad but also really observational if you can say that about a piece of music but I loved how that added to the tone of the film yeah and ties into really the journey of the film as well right that represents the story yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody look up Earthships. Yeah. Google, oh. Google Earthships because when I was reading the book and they talk about Earthships, I looked it up and you won't even believe that they're real. They're the craziest thing. They are like houses that are made out of recyclables and oh, they wow. look like something out of like Barcelona, like Gaudi. It's it's insane. Oh. Or combined with like Dr. Seuss. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, cool. you'll go down a rabbit hole of looking up Earthships. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, on that note, what is the last word on Nomadland? Yeah, Nomadland is a stunning film with two incredible women at the helm of it, Chloe Zhao and Frances McDormand. And I'm anticipating... Knock on wood. I'm anticipating it will probably win Best Picture and Best Director, I think. Well, Chloe Zhao is literally nominated for four Oscars for this one film. For (laughs) Best Adapted Screenplay, Film Editing, Directing, Directing, and also Picture of the Year as a producer. Yeah, yeah. incredible. Yeah. I think she's going to make history. I think so, too. For me, the last word is this film, like... I'll be honest about if you had asked me like a month and a half ago, I think I would have probably said like, oh, this has kind of not been a great year for film. But each week Mm. we keep watching movies that I'm just loving more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And this one, again, was just really, really beautiful and wonderful. And I actually do. I I do think I will revisit this film. Me too. It kills me that I didn't get to see it in the theater. I I think especially with all that color and the cinematography, it would have just been so powerful. Um, but it is one that I think everyone, like, please go and watch it. Mm-hmm. It's such mm-hmm. a great film. Yeah. Sinclair? Last word for me. Yeah, I had a good cry during this. Yeah, same. For sure. 
but overall I was really satisfied with how this was adapted there are a lot of different elements in this film that would be really challenging to direct so I can see why she's winning all the awards and I'm rooting for her to win the Oscar for best director I think that would be really amazing mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and it's definitely one of the best films of the year so mm-hmm. try and watch it before the Oscars just yeah. watch it <laughs> yeah Each week, we challenge ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. This week's theme is... Life is a highway! This is our <laughs> week in entertainment. <laughs> yes. Helen, what'd you pick? Oh, boy. Does anyone have a guess? No. No. Oh, yes, I do. Okay. Wait. Is it Crossroads? Yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so, yes. yeah. My preamble was going to be that we've been watching a lot of heavy movies lately and I had to watch my owie pick after Nomadland and I felt so fucking just downtrodden and sad after that. And I was like, I, I'm sorry, but I have to watch something fluff. So this film came out in 2002, directed by Tamara Davis, written by Shonda Rhimes. I feel oh, like a lot of people don't know that. It stars Brittany, obviously, Zoe Saldana, Taryn Manning, and Anson Mount. So... Brittany plays Lucy, the valedictorian of her high school, ultra good girl, wallflower virginal, all the things that Brittany wasn't being portrayed as <laughs> right, in her <laughs> pop star image. She decides to take a road trip with her two childhood best friends, played by Zoe and Taryn, to L.A. Taryn is heading there to audition for a record label. Zoe's going along to see her fiancé, and Brittany figures she can hitch a ride to visit her estranged mother, played by Kim Cattrall. Anson Mount is the man who makes this trip happen as he has a Buick Skylark convertible. Nice. Mm. So, okay, hot take. Crossroads is not a bad movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've seen Crossroads more than I'd like to admit. Uh, It's not bad. I definitely did see it once, I think. I saw it in theaters, and I've seen it again since then. So I've I've probably seen it at least three times now. Yeah, same. Um, Yeah, it's it's not a great movie, but it's not bad. I think that the plot of this film works, that there aren't really any like glaring plot holes. And I actually think Britney's decent in it. Like she's mm-hmm. not about to win any Oscars, but she's really natural on screen. Mm, interesting. Yeah. It has a lot about it that's fun, but then it also gets like quite dark. <laughs> and there is a bit of like a plot twist at the end that What is it? I mean, spoiler, this came out almost twenty years ago. So uh, Taryn Manning's character is pregnant uh-huh. and she reveals to the girls about midway through that she is actually pregnant because she got raped. Oh, and fuck. then when they're going to see Zoe Saldana's fiance, you find out it was actually her fiance that raped Taryn. <gasps> yeah. Oh my and then God. Taryn's like trying to leave the apartment. She doesn't want to be there and she falls down the stairs and she miscarries. What? Oh my god. Yeah, it gets like quite dark at the end. There is a lot of fun stuff mixed in. We get Britney karaokeing I Love Rock and Roll. And then we get her I'm Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman song. I'm not Um, a girl, not not yet a woman. Um, (laughs) And there are some excellent early 2000s fashions in this film. Mm. Excellent. Some like taffeta prom dresses that are like really horrendous. The bright blue eyeshadow with glitter choker necklaces. Brittany has a great like bubblegum pink fleece at one point that I really want. Mm -hmm. And then her final outfit where she sings I'm a girl. I'm not a girl. Not yet a woman is this like belly button like not even crop top like basically just a bra. But then it has these like sleeves that come out that like flare out and has rose patterns all over it it's incredible i'll send you a photo of it i took a screenshot and this then sent me down a whole spiral of britney stuff because you know with the framing britney spears Mm -hmm. documentary that came out that i watched that i found very fascinating and i actually discovered an article that was published by the guardian in march that is titled hear me out why crossroads isn't a bad movie so i'm not the only one Right now, that's going back and <laughs> rewatching this movie and singing its praises. So, Crossroads, girls' road trip from the early two thousands with our girl Brittany. 
How do you Ooh. feel about this movie, Sinclair? I love it. It's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I can get into all of that from yeah. that time. I was a teenager yeah. in the, the early 2000s. Right. So, I mean, it's all good to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Who's next? Edison? Sure. So uh, my Owie this week is from 1997, directed and co-written by love him or hate him director, David Lynch. <laughs> the, yep, this film is Lost Highway. <laughs> so. Yeah, Edison, I, I laughed a bit when I realized you were doing this because I, I cannot see you liking this movie. Well, here's the thing. Okay, so <laughs> Lost Highway tells... Two overlapping stories. One of Fred, that's Bill Pullman. He's a jazz musician living in L.A. who has this paranoia that his wife, Renee, that's Patricia Arquette, is cheating on him. Homemade videotapes mysteriously get delivered to their front door. The content is creepy AF. The first tape is a recording of outside their house and then zooming in on the front door. And then that very quickly escalates. And the next tape is like that same shot but then now it's walking through their halls and into the bedroom with them on the bed and very freaky anyway at a party one night they meet this creepy dude that looks like a vampire and it all goes to hell uh, thereafter bill pullman apparently kills patricia arquette and then he goes to jail where then he transforms inexplicably into a young guy named pete and that's balthazar getty yeah what? oh yeah 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 and <laughs> then we follow his narrative for a while and that involves Robert Loggia as a gangster named Mr. Eddie, and then Patricia Arquette again, but this time she's playing a gangster's girlfriend, Alice, who basically seduces Pete and uses him to break free from Mr. Eddie, I guess. But then again, creepy old vampire comes, and it all just goes to shit again. So, okay, here's the thing about David Lynch. <laughs> For me. I think, I will say, I decided, like, in the 90s that I didn't like David Lynch. Mm. I just found it way too much. I remember watching Mulholland Drive. It gave me like an actual anxiety attack. I was like, I can't with this movie. Uh, I I did actually watch Lost Highway back in 1997 when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah, I guess I would have been like 14 though, so sure. And (laughs) so I just didn't get any of it. I didn't get it. Yeah. And no, this isn't really my type of film. But there were things that I did actually appreciate about it now watching it that I did not Mm. back in the day. Mm. Did I like this film? Like, not so much. But did I appreciate how audacious it is? Yeah. Could I get behind the, like, cool cinematography and coloring and and his choices with editing and stuff? Yeah. Um, This film is like a total surrealist nightmare. And it kind of was really cool, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I guess, and freaky. I, I assume that you're a fan, Sinclair. Well, yeah, I love David Lynch. This is lower on my list of my favorite films by him, though, mm-hmm. for sure. But I do love this soundtrack. It has all my jams on it. Marilyn Manson, oh, Nine Inch Nails, Rammstein. Yeah. <laughs> so much. <laughs> Rammstein. So much Rammstein. It's very that. Yeah, very like Euro vampire metal crazy. I don't know. It's just a lot. And... This is like one of his more accessible films, probably. So I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> oh, another really creepy thing about this film is Little Creepy Man is actually Robert Blake, who I know. is someone Child who was a tri- well and was on trial for murdering his wife. Oh, jeez. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Robert Blake. Yeah. Yeah. It just adds uh, an extra creepiness to it. And for sure. Oh, no. Oh, he's so terrifying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What does this have to do with highways? Oh, yeah, right. Yes, Edison. Sorry. So it has, to, it has to do with highways because it's called Lost Highway, Helen. Um, oh, and yeah. that's it. No. no, but then there's also, it's about the highway that like leads you f- into hell, essentially, is like oh, my guess okay. from it, right? And there's the there are like some actual scenes that take place on the highway as they're driving mm. out to this like um, beach hut where the vampire thing lives. Mm. That's it's more of a symbolic highway, I think, into okay. like the dark realm or the next into the mm. darkness or something like that. Yeah. At the end, he's seizuring in the car and you can conclude that he is being electrocuted in the chair. Oh, yeah. Well, I yeah. did not conclude that. Yeah. No. Sinclair sees things in movies sometimes that I'm like, how the fuck did you figure that out? And I know she's right, but I'm just like, yeah. I don't know how you 
he's he's no, being electrocuted at the end and he's headed down that that lost highway there's a hank williams song called lost highway that is about sinners their souls heading down oh cool yeah that totally makes sense yeah. um i do like hank williams too that's awesome you know lost highway it uh it's a trip uh sinclair what did you pick well my movie choice this week i based off the fact that i had watched nomadland and i wanted to move away from the reflective like introspective journey on a highway Mm -hmm. into some more fun popcorn action Mm -hmm. and i managed to find that in a movie called duel Duel is from 1971. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. And oh my it, god, yes. <laughs> yeah, your favorite. And it was his first feature-length directorial debut, and it was originally a TV movie that was on ABC. It was an ABC movie of the week, and then it eventually became a um, theatrical release. So this is mm-hmm. right before Jaws. Mhm. Quick synopsis via IMDb. It's a pretty simple plot, not going to (laughs) lie. A business commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer. So this is a classic road rage terror story. Oh, okay. This poor character named David, played by an actor named Dennis Weaver, is just commuting to work and he passes this truck and... This just pisses off this truck driver who I guess is a psychopath and Hmm. obviously he didn't have a lot of work to do that day because he takes the whole day off to basically terrorize this poor man. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically the plot. This, This poor man named David gets terrorized by this tanker truck. And it takes place on this highway that is it's pretty deserted and it's it's a high action thriller and technically the shots are incredible in this there's so many aerial shots there's shots Mm. in the car and the way they shoot the truck is very similar to jaws it's about the unseen that's very Mm. terrifying you don't actually see the driver you see his boots at at times at certain truck stops and you maybe see a hand here and there but it really is the truck itself that is the character oh i love it has a life of its own it is this very dilapidated rusty old piece of just garbage it's massive it has (laughs) flammable written across it and it's just so rickety sometimes it's it's hiding in a tunnel waiting for him sometimes you know the the truck randomly drives up at at the truck stop that that david has stopped at and yeah essentially he is trying <laughs> You're to such a fucking your cat. Your sorry my eye <laughs> i have a very itchy eye i'm sorry i'm terrorizing my eye right now um yeah basically this truck is trying to run poor david off the road Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a fun fact about that truck and tie into Jaws as well is that actually Spielberg used the sound of this truck and put it into Jaws as a shark is sinking dead to the bottom after Smile, you son of a bitch, and it explodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's cool. Well, and the truck also had a cat, its own (laughs) casting session. They had a lot of trucks they had to choose from. (laughs) And really, it's because the truck is its own character. Yeah. And they ended up going with this tanker truck. It's a Peterbilt 281 tanker truck that ended up being cast. And it's definitely the appropriate amount of menacing. Mm. The, the highway is also a character in this. It's long and winding. It's very desolate. And most of this film was shot on the Sierra Highway in California. And it it definitely adds a thrill to this. And it's fun because really it's not just David getting terrorized. The movie is called Duel. So what happens mm. is he he ends up wanting to beat this truck mm. it ends up being a bit of a battle because a really you can goliath say, story exactly because really you can say like david just pull over the truck stop and stay there and call the police like don't get back in your car right. but it becomes this wanting to overcome and steven spielberg has talked about how with dual 
and Jaws, he likes the idea of this uh, Leviathan targeting an everyman mm-hmm. in this in this battle. So it, this movie really reminded me of Joyride with Lily oh, yeah. Sobieski and Paul Walker yeah, yeah. from 2001. Duel like really heavily inspired that movie. But huh. yeah, this is... With this movie's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's really good. Simple plot, but it's just, you know, full on action. And really cool to see Spielberg at the very, very, very beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So now it's time for our In Focus segment. Each week we pick an artist and take a look at their filmography and break down the projects and moments that made them the fascinating creatives that they are today. All right, dudes and dudettes. It's time to kick back in a bathrobe, put on our flip-flops, and pour ourselves a white Russian. Because this week we're exploring the filmography of the coolest cowboy around. Mm-hmm. This actor's charm and laid-back energy has been entertaining audiences since the 70s. Whether he's a lovable nihilist, a hardened sheriff, a computer hacker, or a country singer with a crazy heart, his mm. memorable roles have made him a real Hollywood star, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you happen to not think so, then yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> Because he's been loved, he's been alone, all his life he's been a rolling stone, done everything that a man can do, everything, everything to, to get, get a hold on, on you. you, done everything that, that a, a man, man can do. do. It's time to put the career of his dudeness, the duder, El Duderino, Jeff Bridges, in focus. Yes. <laughs> that was so good. We didn't even practice that. We just all knew to come in there. <laughs> <laughs> We're all very intuitive. Yes, that in, in the spirit of dudism. <laughs> so we had to break Jeff Bridges' career down into what we thought were his most defining moments in movies. And we had to decide what the movie was that put his career on the map. And I also just need to mention that I forgot that Jeff Bridges actually came from a Hollywood family. So did I. <laughs> oh, me too. His father was Lloyd Bridges. His brother is Bo Bridges. Mm-hmm. So he definitely had an in in terms of hollywood connections for Mm -hmm. sure but his on the map movie is the last picture show from 1971 directed by peter bogdanovich and little synopsis via imdb in case you haven't seen the last picture show in 1951 a group of high schoolers come of age in a bleak isolated atrophied north texas town that is slowly dying both culturally and economically Mm -hmm. (laughs) a bleak (laughs) we definitely have a common theme today of the death of american towns for mm-hmm. sure. This is Jeff Bridges' first big role in a feature film. He played the role of Dwayne, who originally in the novel apparently was a very dislikable character, but hmm. Peter Bogdanovich wanted him to be more likable in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then in came Jeff Bridges, who is definitely one of the most likable actors in Hollywood. And oh God, yeah. he really managed to bring that likability to that part. But, Isn't it yeah. completely wild to think that this is 50 years ago? What? Yes. Oh my Jeff God, Bridges has been acting in f- major films and has been a major actor in Hollywood for 50 years. Mm-hmm. Half a century. Wow. Yeah. And he has an incredibly wow. daunting filmography. It is of so course. massive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This film was a really interesting watch. Like, mm-hmm. it's this 70s film that's looking back on the 50s with mm-hmm. this kind of nostalgia lens but also like quite a harsh kind of criticism like it's about the death of this town like you say and it's all of these things that the characters have lost but in doing that it's kind of mourning the good old days right of like how things were and the characters talk about the good old days Mm -hmm. and like now we talk about film you know in the 70s is the good old days because that was when Hollywood changed and like (laughs) everything is oh everyone's always looking back to the good old days and I I don't know Mm -hmm. I find it really interesting yeah 
Yeah, it was a very interesting watch. It was definitely racier than I was expecting it to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a pussy grabbing moment, a, a literal pussy grabbing moment in this movie. That's very awkward, actually. Very awkwardly shot. <laughs> that has to be one of the strangest moments I've seen in film. I know it's it's so odd. But yeah, in terms of Jeff Bridges in this in this film, I find him to be so playful and earnest. He's so easy to watch, mm-hmm. and it earned him his first Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we had to decide on Jeff Bridges' big three, and this, yeah, this filmography is massive. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. incredibly daunting, and it is so hard to narrow his films down to just three, but we did our best. And the first film is Tron from mm. 1982, directed by Steven Lisberger. Yeah, Tron is definitely a unique film. Brief synopsis for anyone who hasn't seen it. A computer hacker is abducted into the digital world and forced to participate in gladiatorial games where Mm. his only chance of escape is with the help of a heroic security program. Wow. So Tron is special in a lot of ways. It was very revolutionary in the science fiction genre because this was really one of the first times that um, CGI was used Mm -hmm. in a big feature film. And it was very big for Jeff Bridges as well because it moved him from the Wild West, the Wild Wild West, and (laughs) just being that charming Southern boy to Mm -hmm. being a leading man in a science fiction film. He plays a character named Kevin Flynn who gets transported into this digital world. And most of this film is in this digital world. There's only a small percentage that is him in the real world. He is so handsome. I cannot even handle it. And my crush on Jeff Bridges really shines in in Tron. I have to say, though, this is the nerdiest movie I have ever seen in my <laughs> life. This movie is so nerdy, and I say nerd with with complete love and kindness. Yeah, yeah. I really do. But this movie is nerdy as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was really, really special. It, it's weird watching it in 2021, and you really notice how far we've come in terms of visual effects. It's so bizarre. It's like watching an 80s video game for almost two hours. The movie has these very distinct colors. It has a very memorable, distinct aesthetic. Neon. Neon, lots of grays, lots of blues. And you spend so much time in that world that I found that it just started to blur together after Mm. a while, these effects. But yeah, Tron was a very important movie. Pixar's credited this movie as being such a pioneer movie and and influence for them, especially for getting Toy Story off Mm. the ground because of Mm. Tron CGI and the animation that's used. Oh, wow. Jeff Jeff Bridges really took a leap with this one in his career, too. He was very intrigued by this film because it had never really been done before, anything Mm. like this. And while I was watching him in this movie one thing that I noticed is that he's so relaxed he's so natural and he's open and he is likable and Mm -hmm. it allows him to just move from genre to genre pretty seamlessly so yeah this movie it's it's all right you know it's Tron but it's fine (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate Tron for being so groundbreaking (laughs) and it's such a staple at Jeff Bridges filmography all right so next up on the big three is 1998's the big lebowski written and directed yeah by the cohen brothers in the big lebowski the dude whose birth name is jeff lebowski is mistaken by some gangsters for millionaire jeff lebowski they attack the dude in his own apartment and piss on his rug man ruining it (laughs) The rug that really tied the room together. <laughs> so the dude goes to the Sabowski guy and explains his situation. You know, the dude just wants what's fair. He'd like his rug replaced. Yeah. Lebowski has no time for this and sends the dude on his way. But then after Lebowski's much younger and clearly sexually frustrated wife, Bunny, played by Tara Reed, who I l- literally forgot existed until I watched this movie. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Yeah. After she gets kidnapped, Lebowski hires the dude for a one-time job to find out who did it. And the dude takes his bowling buddies, John Goodman and Steve Buscemi, to help him out. And thus, the film takes off. So, this is obviously on his big three. The dude mm-hmm. is, I would, I think, arguably his most iconic character. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because it wasn't, like, this huge hit at the time. It's definitely a hit that, uh, a film that kind of gathered momentum over the years. And a character that has gathered momentum over the years. But the movie is really brilliant like i've seen this a few times and i like rewatched it for this and it so holds up it's so so good Mm -hmm. Mm. i love this era of coen brothers stuff yeah Mm -hmm. it's just so well written and all these lines like the performances are amazing 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 john goodman as walter the vietnam vet i love john goodman Oh, man. The dynamic between, like, him and Steve Buscemi and Jeff Bridges together, like, come on. They are amazing. And that's how I picture Jeff Bridges. I picture him, not to that degree, but I picture him just being this laid back, relaxed (laughs) California guy. I think the enduring popularity and influence of the dude is Mm -hmm. something I'm sure nobody involved in this film could have ever possibly predicted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but we'll kind of talk a little bit about that more in the pop culture segment. So yeah. what's up next um, in the big three? Oh, boy. Okay. Number three is Crazy Heart from 2009. Mm-hmm. This is directed by Scott Cooper and written by Scott Cooper based off of novel by Thomas Cobb. Here is the description courtesy of IMDb. A faded country music musician is forced to reassess his dysfunctional life during a doomed romance that also inspires him. So this obviously stars Jeff Bridges as Bad Blake, the faded country music musician, and also has Maggie Gyllenhaal as his love interest and Colin Farrell as his young rival, but also... uh, Protégé of sorts. Protégé, yeah, yeah, exactly. So (laughs) I saw this film when it first came out, when it was in theaters, in my first year first couple months of being in new york city Mm. and our acting teacher that had seen this film in theaters and came to class the next morning and said you all need to go see crazy heart the acting in this movie is incredible and like that's your homework go see this movie so being the teacher's pet that i am i obviously went and saw it that night um (laughs) me and libby and our friend eunice and came to class the next day and he asked us if we had seen if anyone had seen it and just the three of us had raised our hands and he was very angry at the people that didn't see it but we got gold stars because we went and saw crazy heart so (laughs) (laughs) so i have this association very much so with this film and starting acting being self-congratulatory and that as well (laughs) um (laughs) um but I, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I've seen it once since then, but it's been a while since I've rewatched it. And I really, really love this movie. And this character is who Bradley Cooper's character in A Star is Born would have become if he didn't commit suicide in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same character. Mm-hmm. Same voice, same mm-hmm. look, same style of music. Like, it's actually un- kind of uncanny and incredible. And obviously made me fall in love with him the chemistry (laughs) in in this movie is wonderful the chemistry Mm -hmm. between jeff bridges and maggie gyllenhaal Mm -hmm. is very genuine very palpable and i have to say even though he's playing this like alcoholic sweaty musician who like stumbles around stage and is vomiting i found him so sexy because he's just the Um, coolest he's so sexy yeah like he shouldn't be sexy in this movie, but he really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great film. And it is the film for which he won his Oscar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And great soundtrack. And great soundtrack, yeah. Too. And he's and... been nominated for seven Oscars and won one. So this was mm-hmm. a big deal, right? Yeah. Especially yeah. when this came out, you know, he had already been in the industry for like 40 years. And you could see during that whole Oscar campaign, like, how much Hollywood loves Jeff Bridges. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Sinclair, what is the hidden gem that you've chosen for Jeff Bridges? I got to tell you, I was 
so completely humbled by Jeff Bridges' Aww. filmography. <laughs> yeah. Because I had thought I had seen a lot of Jeff Bridges' movies, but when right. you really get into his filmography, there are so many more movies mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. to watch. It's just completely daunting and endless. There were so many to choose from that I hadn't seen. And I mean, I love Starman. I've talked about Starman mm-hmm. before yeah. on the podcast. I need to watch that. It, it's in our um, Peanut Butter Falcon episode. Mm-hmm. We did it for the theme, It's Complicated. So if anybody <laughs> yeah. wants to go back and listen to our discussion on, on Starman, you can go back. It's season three, episode three. But so many to choose from. I ended up going with a movie called Fearless from 1993. It's directed by Peter Weir. That's what drew oh. me to it, really, because I do. I really love Peter Weir mm-hmm. as, a, as a director. Basically, Jeff Bridges plays a man named Max Klein, who at the beginning of the film survives a very devastating plane crash. Hmm. And in the moment when the plane is going down, he thinks he's about to die and he has this moment of accepting his own death Hmm. and he is overcome with this peace and this weird tranquility and he accepts his death and it it gives him this freedom and this calmness and he is able to like help save other people on the plane because Mm. he's just working in this adrenaline of no fear yeah. In this this very odd sense of calm. And he ends up surviving. And the film is really him coming to terms with the fact that he's alive. Oh. <laughs> that right. he survived it. After he had accepted his death. So his psyche becomes all messed up. It's almost like he's reluctant to go back to living in the fear and anxiety of everyday life. Right. Huh. Yeah, it's this very strange sense of invincibility and it's like he doesn't fully believe he's alive so is he like constantly kind of tempting death yes like he will walk out in a a busy highway Mm -hmm. with cars going by and it's hard he can't relate to people in the same Mm -hmm. way anymore he can't have this idle chit chat yeah it's definitely a really interesting watch and jeff bridges is perfect for the role he he has a philosophical energy to him that yes. works in a film like this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Edison, what is Jeff Bridges' pop culture moment? Right. So it, it is the dude, right? <laughs> it I mean, has to be. It is. Yeah. Now, Jeff Bridges, like we said, it's been literally five decades of being in films and being a star. But I think the dude is just the dude man like what can you say people still dress up as the dude every year for halloween like it's just a very real thing or like every day for the last year uh, during our lockdown but what i think is really cool is that the dude has become so huge that there's an actual religion Mm -hmm. called dudism wait what that has that has yes that has grown up around the dude it's basically like a modern form of Taoism um, okay. and it basically advocates the practice of just going with the flow and Man. being chill and taking it easy uh, in the face of all of life's difficulties and hardships here's a quote from its description it aims to assuage feelings of inadequacy that arise in societies which place a heavy emphasis on achievement and personal fortune we could really use some of that right now. Oh Consequently, God, s- simple everyday pleasures like bathing, bowling, and hanging out with friends are seen as far preferable to the accumulation of wealth and the spending of money as a means to achieve happiness and spiritual yeah. fulfillment. There are an estimated 450,000 Dudist priests who have been ordained <laughs> worldwide. Oh my God. Dudist priests. <laughs> Marriages have been officiated legally by Dudist clergy in some American states. I know. And that is it. It's like this philosophy of the dude abides, which means Mm. just keep going, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. I want to be a part of that religion. You can. You can literally go to dudism.com and become an ordained Dudist priest. 
So yeah, that's his pop culture moment. Helen, what's up and coming? Yeah, so there's uh, one project that is supposed to come out this year. It is a mini series for FX called The Old Man. Here is the description courtesy of IMDb. A former CIA officer living off the grid finds himself on the run from people who want to kill him. I don't think that he's a main character in this, from what I could gather. And then there's a couple of things in development. The one that was most notable to me is called The Emperor's Children. And here's the description. A comedy centered around three Brown University educated people who are approaching the age of 30 in the months leading up to September 11th. So he's the only actor attached to this at this point, and I imagine he's not playing one of the people approaching the age of 30. Um, (laughs) Maybe a professor at Brown. That would would be my guess. So this is based off of a novel. The screenplay is written by Noah Baumbach, who's not always my favorite. Mm -hmm. But it's being directed by Lake Bell. Oh, cool. Mm. And I really liked her film In a World. So Mm. I'm excited about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. All right, guys. There is only one way to end this epic in focus, Jeff Bridges. And that is by playing a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill with his very massive filmography. Mm-hmm. Edison, why don't you start us off? What film do you want to marry? I mean, it, I think I, it is going to be The Big Lebowski. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I know. But I just feel like... Maybe I'm a subscriber to Dudism, and if I need to spend every day with someone, I think I'd enjoy the dude. I can, I can bowl. I can, like, sit around and drink. It's chill. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Helen? Okay, I'm going to marry Crazy Heart. Um, <laughs> by the end of this film, he gets sober. He turns his life around. Spoiler alert, him and Maggie don't end up together, but he is a new man and still very sexy, and I... And getting some nice royalty checks. So, yes, I would marry him. (laughs) Sinclair? Sinclair. Yeah, I think I'm going to marry the Fisher King. Because I feel like it's a bit of an underrated movie. But, yeah, it's Jeff Bridges, Robin Williams. It's directed by Terry Gilliam. Mm-hmm. It's oh my God, a really great movie. Yeah, it's 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 a good one, and I f- just felt like we couldn't not mention mm-hmm. the Fisher King because I think it's a really important movie on his filmography. So I'm going to marry that one. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Edison, what film do you want to fuck? Well, it'll have to be American Heart from 1992. <laughs> um, have I seen this film? Nope. But you did send me a picture of yeah. the poster. And, uh, yeah, Jeff Bridges just sort of sexy on it that it's going to have to be that. Yeah, side note, we have been sending, like, sexy pictures of <laughs> young Jeff Bridges back and forth. As and American should. Heart was definitely Ooh, a hot photo child. that we were sending back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really great facial hair, too. Yeah. <laughs> just an all-around great look. Yes. Mm. How about you, Helen? Okay, I'm fucking hell or high water. Mm. Uh, give me Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, Ben Foster. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is what I was debating marrying this and fucking Crazy Heart, but I this is, doesn't end very happily, so we'll just have some fun with it. Such right. a great movie, though. For yeah. It's very good. Very good. Sinclair? Yeah. Hands down, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, for I, me. I know. Totally. I, I know. This is just the sexiest movie michelle pfeiffer oh impossible is impossible like it yeah completely impossible she has this really great scene where jeff bridges is playing the piano she's in this like sexy red dress on top of the piano and they're you know playing together and it's just their chemistry they just it's like some of the sexiest Mm. moments i've seen in Mm -hmm. film so it's hands down the fabulous baker boys for sure Mm Okay, Edison, what film do you want to kill? I'm going to kill R.I.P.D., right. uh, which is a movie with Jeff Bridges and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, have you, have either of you seen of this? this? I haven't seen this, but it's the rest in... It's rest the kill... in Peace Department. So Jeff yeah, plays a, a murdered cop who joins the R.I.P.D., Rest in Peace Department. 
to work with these cops who are alive in order to find out who murdered him. And it's just stupid as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Rest in peace department. I can't. Well, yeah, rest in peace then to this movie. Yeah, rest in peace to this movie. How about you, Helen? Okay, well, I'm actually going to kill a movie from 2014 called Seventh Son. Not sure if either of you have seen this. I don't think so. No. But really the only reason this film is even on my radar is because Libby is in it. Oh, my God. Um, But only for like half of a second. She was supposed to have a bigger part and then it got cut. Like she's literally in it for a millisecond. Wow. Mm -hmm. And it makes me angry. Rude. Um, I I support this murder. Yeah. Also, it's just not a good movie. So bye-bye, Seventh Son. (laughs) Okay, well, I was also killing the Seventh Son, but oh, great. not be not for those reasons. I haven't oh, even yeah. seen it. I I just saw it on the filmography, and I I saw the bad reviews, and I'm like, Jeff Bridges doesn't need this movie on his filmography. So and Julianne Moore as well. Yeah, it's him and Julianne Moore, and no, it can go for both of them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a double death. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovie to me at uh, gmail.com follow us on instagram at talk movie to me tweeted us at tmtm podcast rate and review us on itunes our website is talk movie to me podcast.com and please become a patreon member patreon.com slash talk movie to me i'm helen i'm miss sinclair and i'm edison and uh you know take it take it easy dudes yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. <laughs>